Hola, Filterinos. Before we get to the episode, we wanted to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. As you know, uh, this decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. We believe everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting podvoices.help. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We're going to have a bunch of links in our show notes. Everybody here at Pop Filter encourages you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Now on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. This season, we are getting our asses all the way through 1982. And tonight, the film is Poltergeist. The show will work as it always does. It is a game show. I will invite two panelists slash, I don't know, gladiators into the middle of the ring, and they will duke it out through the use of movie knowledge movie theory and uh compliments towards the host to determine who is the winner but special wrinkle for tonight the board at pop filter has said that we are doing very very bad when it comes to the younger demographic no and i have tonight our first co-host um when i introduce this person please understand that this is not like a comedy bang bang improv bit <laughs> this, is, this is an actual 16-year-old child who is going to co-host on the show. Uh, his name, he's my nephew, and much like everybody's nephew, his name is Aiden. Aiden, how are you tonight? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Uh, how are y'all doing tonight? Okay, don't, just talk to me. Don't, all right, all right, all right, nobody's all right. been introduced yet. All right. uh, <laughs> Aiden, tonight we're doing Poltergeist. Uh, did you watch that movie? I did. I had to watch it in two parts. Two parts. Was it too scary? Uh, it terrified me. It terrified you. Uh, mainly the clown part. Mainly the clown part. There was a there was a clown, and that clown was scary. Um, did you like it? It did come out. The movie came out thirty years before you were born. Yeah. Was it scary? Um, not nearly as scary. I I feel like I could have started my brother on it. Uh, how old is your brother? Nine years old. Okay, <laughs> I feel like that's. Damning with faint praise. Um, what to you? What is the classic horror? Like, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? And you are on a podcast right now. This is being recorded. That, like, if you're just going to sit there and think, you are ruining the I, show for I, the audience. I'm wasting time. You're um, wasting time. Man, uh, I'd say a suburban film. What is it? Are you, a, a Serbian film? Yeah, that one. You yeah. have seen a Serbian film? Yes. Holy shit! <laughs> Who are your parents? Amen. Now, Aiden, you, we agreed that this was going to be the last time you talked tonight, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but as a special wrinkle for tonight, there has been a lot of complaints so far about the scoring system in this 1982 season. So what we're going to do is I'm going to turn off your mic so you can't talk again, right? Right. No, I just said you can't talk again. <laughs> All right. God damn it. Uh, Classic. But... We are going to let you do all the scoring. Now, do you know what you're scoring? Like, how, how does somebody get a point? Uh, you have to be funny. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Okay, what else? Uh, you have to make Ryan laugh. 
Okay. And <laughs> that's two for funny. Which is different than being funny. <laughs> I, I was just filled in on this like 30 minutes ago. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sounds uh, like you know how the show works. Why don't I you think, tell us? I think one of them is not throw the uh, how we do the show under the bus, but keep going. Uh, and you press mic, I'm fat. Uh, oh, yeah. There is the mic, I'm fat button. <laughs> I'm fat, so I burp and fart. That one seems to be working. Uh, there's a lot now of buttons here, Aiden, that I'm going to trust you with. Don't don't touch them too liberally. What you want to do is you want to look up here at the Greg and Mike buttons, okay? All right. Uh, if those are our two contestants, we don't even know. Our first contestant is Greg. Greg, how are you doing tonight? I am a gladiator, Ryan, because I'm glad to be here. So, Aiden, you can just hit that button if you want to. You don't have yeah! to. Yeah! I wanted to. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, system of a down. <laughs> Also, here is Mike. Mike, you don't have a nephew named Aiden, right? I do not. Now, Greg, you do. Oh, yeah. So, Aiden, I don't know if that's a point for Mike or a point for Greg, because Greg has a nephew named Aiden. Mm. Greg. Yeah. My nephew <laughs> named Aiden is also very cool, so clearly... Long hair and everything? Oh, yeah. Very long really? hair. Yeah, there you there go. You, go. you got to be All an right. Aiden with long hair. This is shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Mike, we'll get to you first because everyone, mostly the Greg heads, but everyone is awaiting the fact that Greg watched a horror movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Poltergeist? Uh, well, I'm happy to win because I assume Greg watched it with his fingers mostly covering his eyes, blocking out anything worth talking about. There should be a Greg screen where you can buy it, put it on your TV, and it's just giant fingers that's on your TV screen. <laughs> uh, no, Aiden, I, you also I have look- a Ryan button right here. Just hit that. There you go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I loved this uh, movie as a kid and haven't seen it since. I probably was uh, the other nephew's age when I first saw it. I watched a lot of stuff too young. Not mm. a Serbian film at 16, because that's the fuck. <laughs> but I mean, it could have uh, been like a comedy, right? That's just, <laughs> a, that's just a nation of origin. <laughs> yeah. An American film, a Brazilian film. The internet Serbian. You saw a ideas. Serbian film? <laughs> Messed up. <laughs> Internet gives you bad ideas. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but uh, it it did. I remember it being much scarier than now in my advanced age. Mm. But I still thoroughly enjoyed it. And like, I don't know if I go to horror movies to be scared because I'm an adult. And so I go, oh, the images that somebody invented. Oh no. <laughs> <I know>. uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I loved it. I still loved it. And it's what you remember and what you don't remember and how it all plays out because. By the end, I was like, wasn't the clown thing like the scariest part of this movie? And everybody's happy. And I was like, movie, you got me, you son of a bitch. You know what? The movie pulled one over on me because uh, the scariest part of this movie is actually Poltergeist 2. It's that thin guy with the hat that comes knocking on the door. Yeah, he's not in this one. <laughs> I did, I, the most iconic part of this movie is not in this movie. Um, yeah, we'll get into the horror aspects versus the filmmaking quality. you know, And what it even means to be a good horror movie. Because it's... You know, all three of us vote on the bracket, so it's rare that we get a classic horror movie to be here. Uh, Greg, how'd it go? Yes. Um, well, this is an interesting movie. It, I feel like it um, It would have really scared me when I was younger. Like, it definitely would have scared me if I saw this when I was a kid. But I found it slightly less scary than I expected. Um, and I was like, okay, that wasn't so bad, but... 
there was still 20 minutes left in the movie <laughs> and it goes pretty hard in the last 20 minutes like that really lady have... said this house is clean she said it was clean like <laughs> your one job is to come in and be like okay there's a poltergeist okay now the poltergeist is gone lady it's not clean like there's obviously still something here and so the way in which the movie earns that last little bit that got me. Um, but overall, it wasn't as dreadful an experience as I thought it was going to be. A lot of the effects are kind of cool. Like, it's scary, but it's also kind of like, look at that guy, though. He's right. That's actually pretty cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> I ne- like, and so it, um, it was not as bad as I thought it might be. But I do have to admit, at the same time, I, there's a way you can watch a horror movie where you kind of... I didn't literally put my hands in front of my eyes, but there's... I I watched it during the day. I watched it, you know, with the volume not turned all the way up to 40, you know, like, so there's ways in which I kept it from being as scary as it could have been, I guess. Well, we're going to get to all this. We're going to talk about how scary it was, its legacy as a horror movie, and really, like, is is this the most 1982 movie of all time? Like, does... It, does this prove that the legacy of horror is not to keep scaring, but to show you exactly what the time was like, you know? Uh, but we're going to do that after a break. It's impossible to talk about the film Poltergeist without also discussing all the legends around it. The movie itself has a pretty simple premise. Family tries to escape a haunted house. But the stories that surround the film have become bigger than the film itself. First, there's the legendary Poltergeist curse, Multiple onset injuries. Two of the Freeling children died. One of them, Dominic Dunn, was murdered. One of the construction workers was murdered. In fact, Zelda Rubinstein, who played Tangina, died 28 years after the movie came out of natural <laughs> causes. <laughs> the other controversy that surrounds the movie is who made this shit? Steven Spielberg co-wrote the script based on his own story slash childhood. Surprise, surprise. But he was also prepping E.T., and his contract stipulated he, could, he couldn't direct anything once pre-production on E.T. had started. Enter Toby Hooper, the director of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Stories from the set vary, with some people saying that despite Spielberg wandering the set every day and being an all-around Butinsky, <laughs> Toby, to, Toby Hooper directed the movie. Others say, based on his control of the production, that, he should be given, that Spielberg should be given co-director credit, if not sole directing credit. Taste Buds, we are not here to research who directed what, nor are we here to determine what we think based on watching the movie. So instead, I ask you this. <laughs> Can you feel a blend of styles here between Hooper and Spielberg? And does that blend elevate the movie or muddle it? I think elevate because the the family aspect is so totally Spielberg, right? It feels like maybe he didn't have full control because there's actually a dad here. So that's how you know it's not just a Spielberg-directed movie. But... <laughs> It, it's so focused on the family dynamics and how they interact, and that makes the horror more powerful. Now there's characters we care about, and then Toby brings in the like legit horror pedigree and sets up shots that are more than like some horror movies can just be like sitcom style, like set up the camera, something will pop out. Who cares? There's pretty few jump scares in this movie. Instead, he always leans it. It's creepy, spooky, and maybe a little oogie. <laughs> There, it seems like sometimes they w- are working against each other when instead of a conventional scare, we go for, it feels like the movie goes for big, bombastic special effect. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that stood in the way of some of the horror. And in fact, a, a movie that might have like 
pointed out that, that this might happen, it would be Jaws. Because with Jaws is so scary because you see so little of the bad guy. But in this, like... The mayor? Robert there will <laughs> There will be, like, um, an obvious point for a scare. And then what comes out is, like, a huge skeleton head. And you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, there's a way in which how epic and cool and metal that is actually keeps it from being scary because you're just like, well, that's pretty gnarly, actually. So the less it looks like it was funded or sponsored by Spirit Halloween Store, the better? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the more, the, the more it's like a rotting moving steak or someone peeling their own skin off. You're like, oh, fuck that. But <laughs> I, think that it, I think that one thing the movie forgoes is that sense of slowly building dread that a lot of horror movies mm. have. And instead it goes to the big visuals early. And in part, I think that's kind of a little bit of a con because I think that it's all of it is setting you up for the last 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it just, there are moments where most movies would have been very scary. And instead what you get is like, it feels like a little bit of a Indiana Jones movie for a moment or something, almost like a high adventure. I mean, like, For- that face thing that Mike brought up, that's – and that's not Hooper sneaking that in. Like, that is Spielberg's hand. Uh, Spielberg's wearing the mask and pulling that off of himself. So Spielberg oh, really? was, like, fully on board of this. Right. If you think that, like, Hooper's B-movie status is bringing in that thing, uh, a very realistic-looking face that was pulled off, um, that's not true. Like, they're, they're both working towards this – I want For this sure. feeling. What the what the Toby Hooper name seems to do, and and the, the co-directing who, who I really do not care, but it's now it feels like Spielberg doesn't have to worry about, and it's crazy because he started with Jaws, which is not that family friendly, but he immediately went, it's all for the kids, and so <laughs> having this other guy direct it makes him be like, well now I can get away with the sick shit that they won't let me put in fucking E. T. or Hook, and the, I, I to me, just personal, I think that the face pales in comparison to uh, the steak. The steak yeah, is oh, something no. that uh, Spielberg would never, ever have. In fact, he said, this is taking too long. I want it cut out. But I believe that Spielberg was like, I'm too sicky in my tum-tum, and I want this cut out. Uh, but that was gross. And then just the whole yeah. idea of, like, now you're seeing maggots. Yeah. And now, did you eat a maggot because you had that chicken wing? Yeah. Also, who no. tries to, hey, I need a midnight snack. Oh, this family has a steak. I guess I'll start <laughs> cooking that in the middle of the night. You deserve <laughs> well, everything you have coming to you. But first of all, he does do the official thing of opening a fridge, which is you put a chicken leg directly in your mouth. Oh, no matter yeah, what, dude. if you open a fridge. Just a you- loose wing. <laughs> <laughs> well, he slaps the steak just down on the counter. Yeah. yeah. It's like this weird red steak. It looks like a dog's toy. And he just slaps <laughs> it down on the counter. He knows it's clean. It, you can hit he was any told of these, this house is clean. Don't don't wait for a pause because there will never be one. They will never shut up. You can just hit we'll these never buttons right up. when they're talking. No, he just has a very high standard. Oh, okay. He doesn't like any of this stuff. One thing I w- one thing I want to circle back on is who is the like who is the bigger documenter of the American family? Is it Spielberg or is it Toby Hooper with his Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Aren't they documentary? Both kind of, yeah, like talking about families on the on just different levels. Well, I think that's that's a really good question, and that's a really good question, Greg. Thank you, Ryan. It's a really good question, Greg. Nope. Okay. Uh, Greg. <laughs> I, I, I think that's really what you have to look at is who's – like, what is the important thing that comes through in this movie, and who is that accountable to? Because I think that Hooper's ideas about America and families are here as much as Spielberg's, but mm-hmm. it's also the structure of it as well. I don't think 
that like Jaws is not a traditional horror movie. Jaws is an elevated horror movie because it's not endless set pieces. And I think that oh, Hooper right. really and I, I'm not blaming Hooper. I don't think like he's a lesser director than Spielberg. I do think he's a lesser director than yeah, Spielberg. Right. But, uh, That's okay to say. I mean, you're allowed to say that about every other Spielberg. No, wait, every other director. I forgot the name. So of, you just call directors Spielberg. Directors, uh, who Spielberg to this one? <laughs> Spielberg oh, Ron Howard. Yet? Um, but yeah, uh, for going, you know, story because we can just have elevating set scenes. I think does do a lot for this movie, you know. And then we have to find the little details to put together the story. I think that helps it out, and maybe muddles it a little bit. I don't know. Let's talk about the structure. Like, did the structure work for you guys, or was it just like, uh, let's get to the next part, let's get to the next part? It worked for me because because it doesn't feel like traditional horror movie. Everything, even if the big Spirit Halloween thing wasn't scary, everything was always surprising. Yeah, and, totally. And there was a surprising tone throughout it. When things start getting scary, the mom's first reaction, she's like, uh. And then she's like, wait, this is the most fun thing this that's ever happened cool, to our family? <laughs> like, Hold on, that- we have to be safe. Let's get a football helmet and let's do some shit. <laughs> this invisible force is pulling our darter. Watch. <laughs> and also, it's it, and then it's so interesting to have it be like like they lose the little girl, mm-hmm. and then they have to kind of go on with their lives uh-huh. a little bit, but they can't leave the house, but they can't totally move on, but they're like still trying, hoping to save her, and that that view of like living with this really abnormal condition for days and days and days. Rather than just it's just a couple of spooky nights, it's like it mm-hmm. enters into their just day to day livelihoods. Like that guy leaves and goes to work sometimes, not always, but sometimes he like goes into the office while his daughter's in a parallel dimension. Dude, there's a part where like the what? boss comes over and Craig T. Nelson, or as I call him, Coach, is like huge bags under his eyes, untucked uh-huh. shirt. Looks like he he's looks like Jack a- Skellington. <laughs> it looks like he's been on a twelve day bender, and his boss comes over and he's like, "Hey, man, everything okay?" No, obviously dude. not, dude. <laughs> this guy's like Beetlejuice right now. Also, screw this guy's boss because Coach is like, oh yeah, I have a bug. They all have the bug. Yeah, like, we all, we're all we pretty got sick. a bug. And he's like, oh cool, hop in the car. We don't want to lose you. And he's like, what? <laughs> I want to give I want to give you a brand new house, Mister Flu. And he's just like, look at me. I'm obviously not doing well. Yeah, that's one of the, or otherwise. That's one of the ways in which this movie is very effectively creepy, though, because like there's no indication that of why the boss is so weird. But that yeah. guy is deeply freaky. Like everything, ev- like every look on his face, everything that he says is as like horrible as some of the things you see inside that haunted house. He's like clearly stricken somehow by what's going on. He uh, a third movie for that guy, third movie of the year movie for that actor. James. Really? Yeah. Because uh, he's one of the stars of Return of the Living Dead, which Tompkins and I did for the 85 horror season. Oh, he was the the, do- the one of the doctors, right? Like yeah. The mor- mortician. The, yeah. He was the guy who worked in the, like, uh, taking care of dead pets or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, classic actor. Uh, let's take a break. <laughs> and when we come back, <laughs> we'll do a Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. You know what the music means? It's time for Rushmore. Aiden, can't just look at me. You got to talk to the mic. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, do you know what Rushmore is? Uh, not a clue. I'm you don't honest. know Mount I, Rushmore? Oh, Mount Rushmore. I thought you were talking about a movie. Yes, I know what Mount Rushmore is. Well, Rushmore is a very good movie. Oh, that, is it? Yes, that you should watch. But Mount, what is Mount Rushmore? Mount Rushmore is the tallest mountain on planet Earth. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think that's a better explanation than what we did. I heard that. Yeah, I heard that. Uh, it's a mountain with uh, the 
four heads of presidents carved into it. Um, oh, uh, that's the, Everest. I'm thinking of Everest. Okay. It's a four-headed monster mountain. Uh, that's okay, dude. Nobody knows mountains. We're, this is not a show about mountains. Uh, we're going to do a different mountain dedicated to 1982, and it's the scandals. Like, I, I need this every time, especially now because mm-hmm. I'm the host. What does this word mean? Uh, I've learned that even though it does count as a scandal, don't do a thing where it's a bunch of kids end up Children dead. die, yes. That's but not going to get it, your points. Uh, I'd say any sort of uh, industrial malfeasance to celebrity <laughs> shocking <laughs> events to uh, political uh, ne'er-do-well action. Yeah, so like, is it tabloid fodder? Is that the definition? Yeah. yeah. Bad boy strikes again. Usually, scandal. But I think what we always come across is that it is very, the line gets blurred. Ideally, it's like a a, a truck upends on the highway and spills flubber everywhere. That's fun. But then also counting as a good scandal would be like somebody gets pregnant with like. Some of that flubber goes and knocks up a girl. That's a scandal. But, and you would think there'd be a ton of those for every year, but I don't know. Mostly it's just really bad things that happened that year. <laughs> I, of course, because I'm hosting, I have my favorite one. So if you get this right, you get three points. Otherwise, if you get on the mountain, you get one point. Uh, who won the last one? The last Rushmore or the last show? The last show. Greg, I think. Me, baby. Me. That means, Mike, you go first. And my God, has there never been a more obvious one in the history of Mount Rushmore? Go ahead. Uh uh, does that, does that okay. mess you yeah, up? dude. <laughs> it really got in my head. Uh, let's start off with uh, my little friend, Ozzy Osbourne. That old shuffling man who likes to go, Sharon! Uh, somebody threw a bat. He thought it was rubber. Bit into the rubber bat on stage. Mike. It was not rubber, and he bit the head off of a live bat. Mike. Mike. That is it right away. Not the obvious one, but... My God, do I love this one because I remember as a kid uh, and uh, in the early 2000s when I was like one or two years old, people still being scared of Ozzy Osbourne yeah. because he did this thing. That Especially he, totally he did it on purpose. Did. He planned for it. <laughs> That's so crazy. All right, Mike, good start. Ozzy Osbourne is on the mountain. Greg, what's the obvious one? Or you uh, can do whatever you want. Okay, for me, the the most obvious one is the 1982 invasion of the Falkland Islands. Mm. What a terrible, terrible... You guys, Argentina went to war with England in 1982. What? That sounds some like they went, fake history they stuff. They had a territorial dispute that led to a shooting war between England and Argentina. What a stupid, pointless war... Margaret Thatcher's son was missing at the time. Some speculate that she was she her head was in two different places, um, but it was a, a shameful military action and certainly a large scandal in my book. That feels like it's important and therefore is on the maybe pile. Mike, you're up. <laughs> uh, I'll do another one. Uh, I don't know if you guys. Yeah, know it's your turn. Like you have Osborne. to. Uh, he was arrested in Texas because he urinated on the Alamo. Okay, I don't know how many Aussies we can do tonight. Should I move away from my <laughs> Aussie yeah. ones? Because I have a few more. I mean, it's Greg's turn, but yeah, that should be your last Aussie one. We'll All right, see. check it out. We're talking about a cursed filming for Poltergeist. 
How about another cursed filming in 1982? Twilight Zone, the movie. <laughs> oh, there shit. was a big helicopter accident, and it's probably John Landis's fault. He probably mm. had them fly the helicopter too low, and then basically he hit the detonation too early for like the prop explosion. And he shot this helicopter out of the air, and actor Vic Morrow died, and two child actors died. Father of, do you remember? Scandalous. Vic Morrow? Do you remember who his daughter is? Tom Morrow, the host of Interventions at Disneyland? <laughs> no, it's actually Jennifer Jason Lee, star of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's right. Yeah, so Twilight Zone is on. That's crazy. I, John Landis continued to work and made okay movies. Uh, I was a big fan as a kid, uh, despite being a clearly terrible person to be around, who also created terrible children as well. Yeah, he begat so, an even worse human. Yeah, Landis begats Landis. So that is a point for Greg. Mike, yeah. what Aussie-less scandal will you present to us now? <laughs> All right. Somebody British, the singer of a metal band, did this thing. Uh, here's a fun one, actually. is Around the Chicagoland area, uh, people started dying mysteriously, and nobody knew what it was. And then they're like, wait, they all bought Tylenol recently and took the Tylenol and some of the people found their dead relative and they're like, oh, this is giving me a headache seeing my dead mom. I'll take some Tylenol. And then they died. Oh my uh, God. Someone was slipping cyanide into the Tylenol gel caplets and hiding them. And to this day, they still do not know who did it Holy because the guy shit. who said he did do it like 20 years later, they figured out he was in New York and not anywhere near Chicago. So the <laughs> Tylenol and cyanide scandal of Chicago, 1982. Is this Tylenol more like Dylenol? Yeah. Uh, this is That's this is like the, the classic 80s story because there would be the most anecdotal evidence of all time and then companies would be ruined. Yeah. Like people would freak out so much. But Tylenol wasn't ruined because they got the Johnson & Johnson company who owns them because they own everything got out in front of it and went, hey, we agree that this is fucked up and we're really looking into it instead of most companies try to be like, no, we don't think that's what's happening. Also, could have got that cyanide anywhere. <laughs> I got to give it up to a company who's like, one Johnson. It, we can't just be the Johnsons. Not enough. That's is it. Two different Johnson families. Do you think? Yes, they came together. And just not and weren't the Johnsons, but Johnson no. and Johnson. Aiden, what do you think? Uh, Dylanol as a scandal. Do you think that's a big deal? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. All yeah. right, Mike gets the point. Yes, Mike. Damn it, Greg. What do you got? The first ever computer virus was designed in 1982, written by Rich, Rich Screnta, and it infected Apple II computers. And I think computer viruses have made all our lives so miserable. Why am I always downloading the attachments? Next, why, time, you oh, say, next time you say somebody who created a virus, his first name is Wretch, don't correct yourself. Just, Just keep going. Right. Yeah, Wretch. Wretch Crendel. All right, that's a maybe. We're on the speed round. Mike, go. Uh, the musical Cats began its 18-year run on Broadway, 1982. Ooh, that is <laughs> gross. <laughs> Greg? Uh, the play in college football. They w play where they're running back the kickoff, and they run through the band. And the band is on the field! And, the band and they're seriously weaving around the band. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a Stanford. I can't remember who they were playing. Oh, Berkeley versus Stanford, the big rivalry. Mike, you got any more? Oh, I have a few more. Joel Strummer disappeared for weeks. They had a canceled tour. Nobody in the clash knew where he was, and he was just hanging out with his wife in Paris. Was he a guitar player? Yes. And his name was Joe Strummer? Yeah. That's good stuff. Greg, what do you got? 
Uh, the United Freedom Front bombed an office in uh, South Africa. They were dedicated not to nonviolence, but just to terrorism against places that didn't have um, any, like, workers in them. In- interesting. Aiden, hit the mic button. Mike. Your scandals of 1982 are Ozzy Osbourne eating the head off of a bat, John Landis and his Twilight Zone filmmaking, Tylenol, more like Dylanol, and the play Cats began. Yes. We just can't get around it, folks. <laughs> uh, that's your scandals of 1982. When we come back, more about Poltergeist. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. Ultimately, gentlemen... I'm, I'm gl- I think that we settled the director thing. We can move on to the horror of it all. Uh, what is haunting this family? The legacy of American brutality, crass consumerism, the dissolution of the American family, cowboy ghosts. And I want to start here. And I think that this is the thing uh, that both directors have a say on. And I want to uh, I want to hear what you guys got out of this is suburbanites and suburbia. Where w- what is scary about that? I think it's the uh, it feels like the the movie is saying and the directors are saying kind of like there's no conscious consumption under capitalism. It feels like there's no good suburbanite, even the good ones. You're sitting on top of a cemetery like people had to die for this giant swath of land so you can get your McMansion. Mike. Yeah, that ultimately what we have now is papering over like a proud legacy, a proud country. And that now we're re- replacing all that with disposable, unnecessary, disconnected, um, just sort of like a papering over, right? Like mm-hmm. literally the idea that these houses were not dug into the ground at all and somehow are just right on top of cemeteries. What about the piping? What about the what about the underground wiring? Like what about the foundations of the house? All that doesn't matter because what the, the idea is that it's on the surface, right? That's where they live is literally most on the surface. And that's the only... Is that the problem with Coach? Is that the American dream was pulled back? Like, in order for the American dream to keep going, you have to have blinders on. And you can't understand how awful all of the stuff that came before you to get you to the spot was. And his got ripped away. One one of the best scenes is we talked about when he has the, you know, the, the, my daughter got kidnapped by ghost flu and his boss (laughs) makes him go anyway. And they're up on the hill and he's like, we're going to build your house right here. And it's going to be even bigger. And look at the view. He's like, oh, won't that ruin the view down there? He's like, it doesn't matter. You won't be down there anymore. And then he's like, huh. Get in my car. And he said, Parasite 2019. (laughs) Get get in my car let me explain capitalism to you, my boy, my dude. And and then he's like, what about the cemetery? And he's like, oh, we'll move it. We've done it before. And that, you know, that's the. Coach automatically assumes, oh, it won't be just the headstones. That no, would be disgusting. I would expect not uh, a, a not mentioned scandal. Is somebody stole the singer of Leonard Skinner's headstone, and that's basically what this movie is about. <laughs> they stole Leonard Skinner's based on Leonard Skinner's. Did either of you were you either of you surprised to find out it was like specifically not a Native American? I really felt ground? like yeah. I remembered it being a Native American. Same here. Ground. My wife and I had this moment. We were like, "This is a Mandela effect for sure." I, I think was like it might so be ready pet for cemetery. Them. 
Yeah, I guess that that's what we, that's the conclusion we came to that we're remembering Pet Cemetery because I was like, was it The Shining? And she's like, no. And I was like, some movie. This is the premise of it. But this one goes out of its way to be like, actually, it's not that type of cemetery. <laughs> and so then, we're we're, like, we're ready to declare America's messed up, but we're not saying they did anything historically yeah, is wrong that just to the indigenous punches? people. <laughs> well, that's what I wonder. Like, I I feel like ultimately this movie tries to both benefit from, but then it might be potentially hampered by. Not exactly identifying what the bad guy is, both in a literal and a metaphorical Mm -hmm. sense. Like, literally, we don't quite know what this evil force that besets them is. Is it just ghost cowboys? But it seems to be something in addition to that. It seems like there is something inside that phenomenon, like a presence. Yeah. So that's in the sequels. They they start to peel into that. That would be awesome, though, if it's like, wait, is this a... uh, Native American burial ground is like no worse, scarier cowboy burial ground. <laughs> well, wouldn't it be though? I mean, like no, we're the you, these, we're the, like we're the ones that like wiped people off the face of the no, earth. Oh yeah, right? these are like, the murder sons of bitches yeah, that we're on top of. That did all the clearing out and everything. But I think that ultimately it is maybe a point against the movie because the movie could do a better job of being like here is exactly what we're critiquing. It feels right. like sometimes they're kind of critiquing capitalism. Sometimes they're kind of critiquing the breakdown of the modern family. A lot of times they're critiquing suburbanism and these different offshoots of it. But it feels like ultimately it doesn't just point the finger. Like the same way that The Shining like sort of points the finger at like alcohol as like what is the ultimate bad guy in this, in, in, in this situation. I don't think Poltergeist makes it clear what it is ultimately like. Or is it I, think, so I think the complex. shiny pointed the finger at Jack Nicholson. He was the ultimate bad guy. <laughs> that guy was messed up. When I was trying to find things, he did other stuff in the 80s that could have been on here if it was not in the 82. Uh, what? No, I, he was I think, it, I think it might that be gentleman. a bit off more than its Kachu effect because I think all those things are connected and the movie seems to be saying that, but it's not. Like I, I think the relationship with the neighbors is setting up that perfectly. Like, you're all here and you're so close together, but they they only have a contentious. Like it's so isolating to live in suburbia. Yeah, you know, they don't help part each of a other. Community. They don't I, help each other out. They don't learn about each other. They're packed together, but they're totally isolated. The I mean the the neighbor opens up the door and he's like, "Who are you?" It's like, dude, right. we were just battling with. Remote we're having controls. a delightful remote fight. <laughs> so, ultimately, do you guys think that? Um, it's not a. Uh, it's not like uh, you get to pick. You know, it's like it's up to the viewer uh, what this movie is about. But it's just so many things. You know, we get so excited when a genre movie seems like it's about more, mm-hmm. but you could also be about so much that you're about nothing. Yeah, I, I think somebody could watch this movie and listen to what we're saying and go, "What? It's about a haunted house." <laughs> like because well, they're like, very just superior zoom by movie stuff. watchers. Well, they're you dumb. know. Really what it feels like to me is I had not realized it's based on a novel. Mm. It very much feels like we didn't quite have time to get in all the explanation that the novel had, but we did get to cover many of the biggest scenes from the novel. And so what you get left is kind of, in a way, it's it, it works because why do you have to understand what's going on in your haunted house experience? Like, right. what does it matter? Like, ultimately, you are being subjected to these horrors and you're pulling together as a family and you're finding a way through it. But on another level, it just feels disjointed. It feels like you want the movie to know what the point is and that you can arrive there by viewing the movie and not that even the mu- even the movie isn't sure what it's saying. It's I like, think- yeah, dude, you could point to anything you like. There's like there's this thing where like both the best and worst screenwriters do of uh, being like the audience will figure it out. Yeah. Yes. 
But I uh, guess the reason I think that scene on the hill is important and why I think the movie does know a little at least of what it's pointing at is because Craig T. Nelson is kind of fine with it. He goes like, that's messed up, but I guess they're dead. Who cares? Until it actually affects his family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's already affecting his family, but now it affects him even harder after that. And that's when he's like, oh, we should let this whole place burn. The other big one I want to talk about, the one that like, man, if you did not get this in the first 98% of the movie, then wait until the last second. Uh, the Samuel L. Jackson comes out and asks the family to be on the Avengers moment where Craig T. Nelson pushes a television out of the hotel room. Yeah. And how scared are we supposed to be from television from this movie? Like, what does TV have to do with our fears? Yeah. Is there an amusing ourselves to death? I think it's I think found it very interesting that the first actual part of the movie is so we get the stat the, right before the static TV it's playing the national anthem yeah and it's just like so interwoven and it feels like you're all just fucking cows sitting there and we're doing whatever we want because you're just straight you're about to be the Wally people in the chairs man do you know where this movie got famous like it was an okay uh, box office hit but where most people watched it on TV yeah like <laughs> he's just doing this like it's just this cycle of like. Well, we have to create a horror movie that people will watch incessantly to show them the horrors of, you know, what their lives are actually like. I bet you, Ryan, that the that's something that the book leans into a lot more because it also sounds like the kind of like elevated take that a book would have. <laughs> Books are good, but TV's really bad. I'm a book. <laughs> but I, I that was just another instance in which I felt like Greg. you know that you're supposed to feel like that's kind of a. Uh, like a slam dunk moment or like a, mm. a fun moment in the movie, a good moment, but it, it feels kind of unearned. Like mm. the TV was just like part of the problem of what was going on there. Honestly, like they had a I lot more it, going on. And maybe cause it's 40 years later. I read it as like a laugh line, like well, one last funny thing. Not yeah, like that I mean, they got it now. It's just like, Oh, this dad does not understand what's haunting his family. <laughs> like, Yeah. And it's probably you, you <laughs> coach looking motherfucker. Uh, I think that the, the bigger laugh line is, uh, the mom saying, oh, Carol Ann, you'll hurt your eyes, and turns it from static to a war movie. Uh-huh. Yes. You know what? This, yeah. is, this is where you're, you'll be better off if you're just watching war. That's America. one of those moments that are not subtle, but even though it's so like ham-fisted, you like have to give respect. You're like, okay, that's a good move. And then there's the family unit, the 1980s family unit. Uh, Poltergeist is clearly about family. It's about death, and it is certainly about birth. Keen observers will notice a little light birth imagery near the end. But what is it saying about these things and what specifically 80s message is it delivering? Like, is it saying that suburbia is bad, but family good? And let's, it's also important. This is about the time in the show where we note how big of a Reagan biography Craig T. Nelson is reading at one point. Like, he picks up a giant tome and just starts (laughs) flipping through it. It's called Reagan and Me, and Reagan literally steps out of the book. That's how big it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the Ryan, are you uh, referring to the light birth imagery when the mom goes into the portal and falls out with the rope tied around her stomach in the fetal position around her child covered in what looks like afterbirth? Yeah, is that like a some sort of weird, I don't know, I'm going to call it, I'm going to make up a random nonsense word. Umbilical cord. And then, yeah, it's covered in pink... Uh, Fluid. ectoplasm ectoplasm it's not a metaphor for anything it's ghost shit come on <laughs> and then there's the giant gaping i love that take of hey not a metaphor for anything <laughs> yeah it's literally ectoplasm it's something Conversation that actually dumb. happens from ghosts uh, look at, 
<laughs> have you ever heard of the 80s? And then there's a giant, like, gaping, like, womb tube. Forgot uh-huh. my biology terms. <laughs> no, it's, it's a womb tube. Um, but yeah, like, does that fit in the movie? Or are they like, you know what? Let's do a birth thing right now. I was it- thinking about this, Ryan. And I, I think that it's all part of the false ending. Which is part of why this movie has a false ending. It earns it, I think. And it's that the, the heroes reject the lesson. Every mm. hero rejects their lesson, and that's why they are subjected to the last 20 minutes of this movie. And for the mom, that moment is literally her true birth as a mother. Like, whatever birth she had where she had her kids, the movie doesn't recognize that as the true birth. The true birth happens at this moment, and she goes through the portal. What happens to her? She gets gray hair. Mm-hmm. She gets, like, sort of the wizened look of an older lady. And instead of – she embraces that, but when her daughter mocks it, that's when she rejects the message. And she doesn't. No, I'm a cool mom. Yeah, she doesn't learn her lesson. But I think that that is part of setting up the the false ending, which is you're supposed to feel like, yeah, okay, this is her moment of birth, and the lesson has been learned, and now the movie's over, and then it's no, it's not, idiots. If if you're staying in the haunted house that swallowed your daughter, even though some little lady said this house is clean, and you're moving but dyeing your hair the night before your big move, you haven't learned shit. No, that's the (laughs) thing, though, Mike. That's like there, there's this element to Poltergeist that they never talk about it, but everybody is crazy in it Mm -hmm. like the fact that they stay in that house they say they're leaving and then they just don't leave and i really think that is supposed to be like a stephen king style they're not thinking clearly and so they're not really doing what they're supposed to do everybody knows you leave as soon as you get a chance to right but they just linger and i think it's really i think the movie is doing that on purpose i think you're supposed to be like why are you still here wait the movie's over go but like but even if even if you're told even if you believe that your daughter's still in the house and then you're told by tangina tangina that your daughter is still in this house that's why they're staying right well that's right what but they, we're saying after they stay the first reason they stay make oh why don't you get the hell out of there yeah and then but they're like okay the movie the movie has ended and then they just they're like we're not going to stay here tonight we're going to leave but in the meantime we are going to stay here <laughs> yeah. and then they like the kids go to bed the the wife takes a big long bath and, and they, they don't like, even go to bed like all together like no. one would. No, they're like, hey, well, we're going to... In the horror room? Yeah, the two youngest See, kids are going to fall asleep again in there. And that's what I mean, Mike. There must be some... That, the movie's point must be yeah. that they are not right. thinking clearly, you know? I That Reagan book fucked me up. Like, when that Reagan book got pulled out, I really changed my entire viewing experience. And also, Greg, you brought up how this is based on a novel. One of the things in the novel that was changed is that uh, Joe Beth... Williams, the actress who plays the mom, uh, is a stepmom of Dana, oh. who is sexually promiscuous. That's why she's always getting like stuck and stuff. And <laughs> what? No, oh, Christ! Uh, Aiden, don't listen to that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, because uh, when Craig T. Nelson is getting interrogated. <laughs> Uh, he says that uh, Joe Beth Williams was six, or that Dana is sixteen, mm-hmm. and that Joe Beth Williams is thirty-two. I and thought so, they were just saying we had her when she was fifteen, and I was like, "Oh, the real horror of this movie," which makes sense there because was a they, child bride. This does feel like a young group of parents, right? Like boomers. Yeah. That, oh yeah, like, that made it out, and you know what? The like, mom is like smoking pot in the beginning of it. You can tell, like they they in the in in the beginning of this movie, the parents haven't answered the call of being parents. They're not truly parents yet. They're so checked out that they're not really doing the work. They learn the value of being parents over the course of this movie. I think. There's there's a lot of get the kids to bed so we can live our lives. 
Hell yeah, yeah dude, for yeah. sure. Hell yeah, dude. Let's start and the then, fun part. <laughs> also, fun part starts at 8. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. Bullshit. After 8 p.m., let's smoke weed and yeah. forget about those kids. Uh, and then also how uh, the mom dresses is sort of little boyish. You know, mm. like the way that she, uh, the shorts and the hat, like she wears a hat. And then the whole like, oh, uh, we already talked about this, but like, this is so crazy that there's ghosts in my house. Let's put Carol Land with a yeah, helmet that, on the that, floor. That's, that's the funniest reaction. That's childish. But uh, apparently in the book, uh, she didn't have the kid when she was 16. Um, she's the stepmom. And so in the conservative realm, you have to make sure that your daughter, your actual, your real daughter doesn't turn out like Dana. Oh, so man. that's why we have to have a rebirth and get Dana out of the house and go through all this stuff, go through a rebirth so that she is not being catcalled by construction workers. Because she's, she's promiscuous. It's right. her fault. Those adult men are catcalling her. Exactly. I don't know. I don't like, it seems a little too much to put on the movie, but that him pulling out that Reagan book really messed me up. <laughs> I, I think that that's part of the movie's critique of the era. And also pretty bold. We're a year into Reaganomics and the movie's just like, fuck this guy immediately, which I respect. Is it weird now look, watching this movie that these are young parents? Like these are 31, 32 year olds just owning a house, having three kids, trying to make it work. So, you know, well, it's yeah, a fantasy I mean, movie. You can own a house if you don't mind it having like a portal to the hell realm in in one of the walls. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna go on a shopping spree. Gentlemen, you know what that means. That's my good friend Macklemore, and it's time for a shopping spree. We are going to run through this movie. With a grocery cart in hand. You know what? I'm going to take two grocery carts. I like to pick big items. And we're going to buy whatever we want. At the end of each round, Aiden's going to decide who bought the best thing. And also, Aiden, we need a draft order. So who goes first? Uh, let's start with Mike today. Mike's, yes. We're going to start with Mike today. And then who goes second? Uh, Greg. Greg. Woo. And then Ryan goes. Of course. Is this snake? I can't remember. Is this serpentine? Serpentine, yeah. Okay. I asked that, I'd get screamed at by Ryan. Don't. The best thing to do is just not talk. Mike, you're up first. (laughs) You have a grocery cart in front of you. You're going to run through Poltergeist. What are you going to buy? First thing I want is a moving floor. You put something down. Hey, I need that in the other room now. And it just takes it that way. Wait. Like a little girl with a helmet on? That's little girl with a helmet on. Uh, I don't know. Rotisserie chicken. A chair. Okay. You find a force that moves stuff across. I'm not putting anything in that force. Why I don't, do you, I, especially your daughter, your precious daughter? I wouldn't even put a steak in that kitchen. Man. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, you have the moving floor. Greg, what do you got? All right. There's just something about movie pot. It always looks so good. So I'm going to twist one up with those parents. Uh, hang out in their room. If that if that kid tries to come in, though, I'm jumping up and I'm closing the door. I'm like, nope, I'm having alone time with your folks. Hey, uh, assholes, <laughs> shut the door beforehand. <laughs> Why is that door wide open so Robbie can come in? So, yeah, in fact, now that I've talked myself into it, I'm going to say be, not even just the pot. I want the session, the, the movie session. Craig T. Nelson, me, and, and Mary Jo Beth. 
Greg's trying to make something happen with those two. I, I'm look. I'm just. I'm open to the vibrations of this household. Like whatever happens here, whatever spirit enters the room, we'll go with it. So, Craig T. Nelson, and I'm going to say this because she became an older woman at the end and got gray hair. I'm going to say yeah. Coach Broach and Greg. <laughs> Groach. Groach. Groach and Greg. Just Groach. No, coach. Just Broach Groach and Groach. Uh, I am going to. I am not scared of clowns. I do think that clowns. <laughs> Are you asking us or telling us? <laughs> no, I'm telling you. I'm not scared of clowns. I think that um, clowns became uh, bacon theory of like, I just say that I'm scared of clowns because mm-hmm. I don't have a personality. Uh, I but I I know a lot of people who are so I think it would be funny to have a clown who just sits in a rocking chair right by my their bed. Yeah. What if you don't like it, put it in the closet already, bro. Why are you keeping it right there? But sometimes that clown will be like ah, strangle you. I love how everything that Robbie's scared of just reaches out and just wants his throat. But yeah, I'm literally taking, grabs him. He's I'm taking that clown. Scared of being choked. <laughs> All right, Aiden. So round one is you have a moving floor. That moves rotisserie chickens to your mouth because Mike is Garfield. (laughs) You have a pot session. And based on how you're dressed, I think I already know how you're going to vote. And Uh, then you have a scary clown. What gets the point? Greg. Greg does. Do it to him. All right. I'm up next. And I got to keep my Robbie train going. I want a security tree outside my house, hopefully keeping uh, robbers and muggers. And criminals outside of my house instead of attacking me inside you my bedroom. You think that was a security tree? It tried yeah. to swallow that kid. That well, kid is—it's—it's it's a tree. It's very easy to get robbies and robbers confused. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I want that tree. Mike, Greg, when you're that up. when that tree fucking got like sucked up by that tornado. Wow, I did not see that coming. <laughs> that was a surprising moment in the movie. He's like, oh, bye, tree. You're oh, gone. Okay, that's cool. Also, I hate to ruin Mike's recommendation at the end of the show, but like that hole in the sky that the tree <laughs> got sucked up into, it was that straight out of Monster Squad? Straight out of Monster <laughs> Squad. That's where Dr- Dracula and Van Helsing go to be friends. You know, we, <laughs> we haven't talked goodbye. about it a ton, but I like the specter of death is itself... Um, the horror of this movie really is just confronting the idea that like, you know, look around your family. Like we're all pre corpses. Right. Um, but like, what do we leave after we're gone? I think that's what's, that's what's important. And what I want is apparently there's a type of casket you can have that will just explode out of the ground. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think it would be super fun if I could get buried in one of these like randomly like Jack in the box caskets that just shoot you up out of the ground. And then you just like launch out of it. Um, I, you know, I'm a goof and I think I'd like to, I'd, I'd like, like to goof even after this life. And that seems like a fun way to do it. Now, uh, you have a sound. I'm also going to award you a sound that comes out uh-huh. of the casket when it arises. Is it like scary? Is it like, or is it hello? Oh no, I'm going full on like, um, like big spring sound, like, <laughs> and I imagine I will be like attached to the inside of the casket. So I'll kind of come out like. i just it's a a way to have fun you know at the end of everything one last little joke it's about having fun yeah right it's about keeping it real having a good time mike what do you got uh i want a crawling ceiling 
Sometimes your your house is cramped. <laughs> you don't have enough room floor, to work a out. Crawling ceiling. Crawling now I I can be ceiling. on the ceiling and do all my workouts up there. Also, she seemed kind of turned on for a while on it, so maybe it feels good to be up on that ceiling. <laughs> I gotta say, she was like, because this is the third, the second third act that we've been talking about of like this house is clean. Oh no, what's happening? She seemed like instead of freaking out, she was like, "Come on, man!" She yeah. quite literally rolled with the punches there. She was just like, <laughs> "This is happening now. I'm just gonna figure it out." All right, Aiden, who gets the point? It's uh, Mike with the crawling ceiling, Greg with the exploding casket, or me with a tree. I got to give it to the tree this time. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, but yeah. I never win this shit. Go ahead and hit my Ryan, would yeah. you say that that tree's bark is worse than its bite? I would say that, Greg. Would you say that now? No, I will not fucking... Oh, you're not going to say it. Okay. No. I will not give in to your boy yoings uh, <laughs> Have you seen the movie? It's clearly not. That bite could eat you. <laughs> also, that's true. Uh, all right, Mike, you're up. I like road trips, and I like a vehicle that gets good ma- gas mileage and can fit on my pals. I want that station wagon. Nobody's picked a car before Greg ever I'm in a shopping it from Greg. Seriously, it's the first vehicle. <laughs> and I think that's because it's a station wagon. Station wagons rule. Don't you remember sitting in the far back that you're facing the driver, and you're just like flipping them off? and The way backpack? Yeah, the way backpack. All right, Mike has picked a station wagon. Good start. Greg? Um... The early on in this movie, when we're really seeing like the, when the critique is clearly on consumerism, there is a guy like biking the game. The big game is on, and he's eagerly biking back. And what does he have? But like a pallet of 1980s beers. And a lot of people don't know this, but like is, since the 1980s, they've changed the way you open cans and the way like the mouth of it looks and everything. And I would love for some of these 80s beers. Never drank an 80s beer. Was I was too young myself to ever indulge in an 80s beer. We should but go these, on eBay, eBay and buy a dude. pallet of 80s beers. And he drops them, so they're like exploding. And I don't know why, but that makes them look even more like refreshing. <laughs> so and refreshing. Uh, and I'm already like, I'm already partying with these parents. So You're partying like, with the parents and you're jumping in and out of the casket. So why not <laughs> shake it up in there? And right, I'm opening a beer and it's like, whoa, we, got, we all got beer on our pants. This is crazy. We can't just wear these beer-soaked pants. He walks in <laughs> with, like, uh, uh, let's say 12 beers, and yeah. then two or three of them are exploding, and he just sits down and lets them explode the entire yeah. time. Because the 80s was a in, weird time. That's how into the game he is, that he can't even, like, he's just letting beer spray all over him. He doesn't care. <laughs> 80s beers, man. They were crazy. Uh, in that same pain, I am going to select an all-powerful remote control where I can yeah. change the channel <laughs> of my neighbor's TV. Uh, and they kept switching it to the same thing. Well, my kid wants to watch Mr. Rogers. And so it was just a bunch of men screaming that they couldn't watch football. I've never seen six gentlemen more into football. Like, they were screaming Dude. at every play. Yeah, they never stop being excited about what's going on on the field. Like, the, the quarterback is dropping back, and they're like, oh! And then they're like... After the play, they're all walking back to the huddle, and they're just like, yeah, go, go, go. Well, the, the thing is, none of them know the game, but they none of them want to admit that they're not as masculine as their 80s brethren. That's true. Also, they're being sprayed with beer this entire time, so that might be part of the screaming. All right, Aiden, we got a station wagon, a pallet of 80s beers, or an 80s remote control. With all honesty... That station wagon was badass. What the yeah. hell? Hell yeah. I, I got to give it Play to the judge, boys. Respect. <laughs> this is yeah. insane. We're never having another 16-year-old on here again. <laughs> uh, so that's, just, that's the shopping spree. Mike, you got a moving floor, a crawling ceiling, and a station wagon to put in between. <laughs> huh? 
Greg, you have a Groach sesh, which nice. is Coach, his wife, and Greg smoking weed, an exploding casket. And when Greg explodes out of that casket, in one hand is weed for Coach and Broach, yeah. and the other hand is an 80s pallet of beers. Frosty beers. <laughs> and I have Deadly Clown, Deadly Tree, and an 80s remote to rule them all. <laughs> That's shopping spree. When we come back, more Poltergeist. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com and it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way, we get a little piece of the action, and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show. That's Movie of the Year. And that's yourpopfilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye. All right, gentlemen, let's get to the scary parts of the scary movie. What elevates Poltergeist amongst other horror films? Is it just the, uh, you know, the 80s talk and like showing us what it was like at that time? Or is there actual horror elements that make its reputation make sense? I think, and I don't know if... This is what like there's you know there's like the schlock and gore horror fans and then this general horror fans I, I don't want to generalize anything but they, I don't think this is what people think of when thinking of something that is horrifying but the most horrifying thing to go through is watching two parents lose their minds because they think they've lost their youngest kid I would say that actual like grief that they're going through and madness uh and that's and it is pinned and you care about these characters more than in a traditional horror and we've hit around this before though but did the movie lose out a lot in that it had to go through classic set pieces and get away from how horrible it would be to lose your child i think yes in a way because i have to tell you the way in which they continue to live in that house with the room the they just like close the door to that room and then occasionally they walk by and they're like you know what i'm just gonna pop in there for a second to see if it's better or not and then there's the part where like the mom opens it and there's just like shrieking just comes out of it nope "Nope, not better not not better no but i feel like isn't that a great metaphor for what it's Mm. like to live with profound grief that like you still do normalish things and then there's just part of the world is just completely wrong and it's kind of just your own personal wrongness in the world, but it's like this howling shrieking at the center of what you do. And so I just think that as like an actual metaphor, that's very powerful. And there's a way in which the set pieces take you away from that powerful metaphor. Sometimes. And yeah, I think that explains too, Greg, the uh, like we can't go in the room because that's too horrifying. Right. And we, we can't change the room into like an exercise room because that's defeating or like you're you're you There's too to much of it. the wrong type of energy in there right. to do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and also, that means that you're forgetting the person. Like, you're, you're attempting to get over it. And there's a lot yeah. of grief that, like, holds grief in. Like, as, as terrible as grief is, you also don't want to get over it. Yeah, because you don't, oh, like... Yeah, because yeah, that's, that's the second right. death, right? Like, when you get over that grief, that's when, like, the person has really kind of passed forever. Because it's just, like, you realize you have moved on. And that's, like, a scary feeling to do right. that. And, 
another part of scary feeling and like grief and death is every once in a while just a giant skull with spider legs will pop out of that room. That's it's, yeah. That's also a basic part of grief. Like I remember yeah. when certain people the in stages. my life have died. Yeah, like it was this the the scary skull with spider legs. And you try like bargaining with it. You're like, please don't do this. I'll give you money. To be honest, I can't believe that I took the clown and the tree in that draft. I should yeah. have taken that giant clown with the spider legs. Like that guy yeah. was scary. <laughs> The movie had a lot of stuff to to throw at you. Like they took a lot of swings at horrifying you, and they didn't just like rest on any one thing over and over Mm-mm. again. Like there was always a new way to try to get you, and it, you could get through two or three of them in a row that didn't really scare you. But there were you were coming up on one that was going to get you for sure. <laughs> it could be argued. I don't think even with the pedigree of people behind this movie that they succeeded in it. That the house was finding whatever scared each individual. And that's why uh, it was yeah. all over the place. But I just think it was all over the place. Not but. in a hacky way where it was like, now we will walk this character through their nightmare right. scenario. And then, you know, like it was really all at once. And to the point where like the family is used to it in this really dark way of just being like, yeah, we don't sleep. Our lives are yeah. awful. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, like the most telling part is when the para psychologist who is supposed to be a pro with this spends like five minutes in the house and cannot put her teacup in her saucer. Uh-huh. <laughs> and even the mom brings that up and she's like, I saw you, bitch. I saw you. You were shaking your hand. <laughs> uh, is it possible? Let's talk about like the, I don't like this term because I, I don't know. It, like, it doesn't reflect well on uh, movie critics, I think, but like, let's talk about the dated thing. Is it possible for a movie this dated to still be scary? And does this movie succeed in any of those ways? I think, like, you have to, if you're like, well, it looks fake. Everything looks fake. Shut up. Like, I'm sick of that version. What of looks, looks faker dated. than CGI, Mike? CGI, yeah. It's yeah. the most booty-looking stuff out there. Just look at fucking noodle <laughs> men fighting each other. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there is still scary moments because you, you have the, the underlying grief and all that, but, like, the mom at the end falling into the skeleton-filled pool like that. Literal skeleton. That should scare all of you. Yeah, those <laughs> like, are real skeletons. Those yeah. are real dead bodies. What do you the, mean? Spielberg like, has, and Hooper have decided or mm-hmm. like uh, denied this, but the legend is, and Joe Beth Williams to this day believes, that it was cheaper to buy literal, actual skeletons than get fake ones, and so that's what they put in the pool. I feel Spooky, like they didn't learn the lesson of their scary own movie. <laughs> skeletons. Although, if they had just played that song, the skeletons yeah, would have danced away and not been a yeah. problem. The the thing I appreciate in this movie is um, one could read those as like undead or zombies. I think it's pretty clear these skeletons are not moving around. They're mm-hmm. just popping up out of the ground and like landing on people, and that's enough. They don't have yeah. to be moving. Like It's scary enough to have a skeleton shoot out of the ground and land on you. <laughs> But why I are the skeletons so. always saying boyoing? Boyoing. You've been Greg. You've been Greg. That should be your the thing in your casket. Almost like one of uh, the speaker in a birthday card that talks. Uh-huh. <laughs> You've been Greg. Buy <laughs> my book. Uh, Aiden, let's go to you. The effects here where I want to talk about the stake. I want to talk about the skeletons. And I want to talk about the uh, guy pulling his face off. When you face... Yeah. When you oh. see things like that, is there any scariness? Is it just kitsch? Is it camp for camp's sake? Like, is do you roll your eyes or do you get? Is it funny? How do you f- react to that stuff? I mean, I saw it more as like charming to its age. <laughs> like, if I'm gonna be honest, uh, 
like I said earlier, you know, you could definitely start a nine-year-old on this movie, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I mean, it's it's definitely, uh, yeah, the effects the the effects were charming, honestly. Like, and yeah, quaint. Like, look at them, look at them try to do it. Look how look how <laughs> they couldn't know, they couldn't do it, but they gave it their best shot, didn't but, they? Right. I do think that Greg's whole thing of like. It's just stuff that happened, and there wasn't that tension built that mm-hmm. like really makes Greg lose sleep. That's yes. also not going to make Aiden's little brother lose sleep. You know, mm-hmm. like I think that when Aiden's little brother sees a guy pull his fake face off, he'll be fine tonight. Oh, but like it's not going to traumatize him. I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to traumatize him. But uh, so many people have said, including Spielberg, this is this should be your first horror movie. Like I think that that was an intent in making it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you need to get the freak kids something. Give them a little entryway. Okay, and judged by, judged by that standard, isn't it a tremendous success then? Yes. Like, I mean, that really, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the creepiest things we haven't gotten to yet, maybe we will in awards, but uh, aren't the effects, you know? No. And, yeah, and that's the other thing. Like, the movie doesn't give you any indication that it thinks those are the scary parts. It seems to think that those are the adventurous parts. You know, mm-hmm. those are the fun blockbuster parts. I do think the movie is aware of what is scary and does begin to lean on it pretty effectively. But, but it's I mean, just kind of fun to have those big skeletons. A movie that I saw when I, a hundred times when I was five years old had a librarian going, shh, yeah, shh, dude. <sighs> and then all of a sudden turning around and being way worse than Large Marge ever could. So, and I think that that... Librarian and Ghostbusters is scarier than anything in this movie. I would agree with that. That's one I of the hate scariest. Being shushed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aiden, it's speed round time. Nicely done. Speed All right, Aiden, fast and furious fingers. There's a lot of points to be earned here. If anybody uh, rings in by saying their name first, give the other person a point. Oh, shit. All right. In this prequel to Coach, why did he never bring up his real estate background in this TV show, Coach? <laughs> Because he was so horrified that he just had to leave it behind, and he was just like, "I'm just into coaching college ball now." That that guy from Coach talked about coaching a lot. Yeah, he really he, did. He was so focused. I mean, once you decide you were going to go by Coach, mm-hmm. that means that, that you are sort of fully committed to the new life. Dictates your entire life. I'm more than sports, guys. Come on, ask me about what I've been reading lately. At and some point, mostly books about coaching. <laughs> At some point, does all the Star Wars merch in this house begin to seem like a fuck you to George Lucas? Is there a way in which we can read it as part of what is wrong with this family, according to the movie? And this goes back to our television conversation of, God damn, do you have to have a television in every room? Because pop culture is invading your family, guys. And I feel like this this movie made me mindful of uh, E.T. Because it's the same thing in E.T. where it's not just that they have Star Wars stuff. There's a part where the little girl rolls over in this movie and there's a Star Wars action figure in her mouth. It's like (laughs) you can feel them like drowning in the Star Wars merch. And I I feel like between this and E.T., the point is kind of like, look at how much of this shit this guy put out on the market. Like our houses are just full of all this kitschy crap. There's a part where Robbie puts away like 10 Star Wars toys and then goes back to bed and the camera follows him. And then above his bed are 19 more Star Wars toys, <laughs> See, which to is accurate. True to right? life. Yeah, yeah. Like, cause yeah. in, in Elliot, his room was covered in Hulk stuff in ET. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's a, this is the age. And if it's 82, this would be the age where Robbie would be obsessed with Darth Vader. What this reminds me of is my idea that I had for Marvel and DC Comics, where Marvel should treat DC Comics like they are the fictional characters of that world. I love uh-huh. that. That's, and, yeah. that's beautiful. And DC should do vice versa. And I feel like Spielberg and Lucas are doing this thing where Spielberg is admitting that uh, 
Star Wars is a big factor of this. Every movie that I make, Lucas only did it by having ETs at a C-SPAN meeting in ETs Phantom at a C-SPAN Menace. And Willow was in. Wait, is that George Lucas or Spielberg? Shit, that's Ron Howard, isn't it? Yeah. Never mind. You just showed from the whole record. ass. <laughs> you can give Greg a point for that. Right. Anytime Ryan, anybody like shows their whole ass. Ryan, I like to think that there's a world in which the predators are like normal and they go about their lives and the aliens are the aliens in that universe. Oh, wow. And then there's another universe where the aliens are just like business people and stuff, but the predators are predators in that universe. How adorable would it be to see like a baby alien with a predator doll? Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> like a bonnet? Yeah. Ryan. Uh, so the house wasn't exactly clean, huh? <laughs> How does this movie handle the topic of paranormal experts? And you know what? I'm going to add on to this. Religion. Is this movie actually dealing with the whole, I mean, like, angels and God go to the light? Is this movie care about religion at all? I think this movie is saying that both science and religion are so poor at trying to describe what's going on in life and that they both take a huge Work. fucking swing and miss in this movie because mm-hmm. neither one Work. is more ridiculous than the other. They're both doing a pretty bad job. Everybody's what like, I, I don't know, this? What <laughs> I like is both the in the, the experts, the science and the religion, the, the spiritual aspects of it, both of them work in tandem. They are be- buddies. And they both throughout are like, I don't know how to do this stuff. And yeah. what, the coolest thing is one of the best lines is Zelda to what, what Mary Jo Beth. What is it? The, to Zelda the mom. Uh, she's like, okay, I got to go in. And the mom's like, I should do it. And she's like, you've never done this before. She's like, but you've never done this before. And her, no, you're right. You should no, yeah. do this. That's, Actually, yeah. This is still just Poltergeist 1, right? Yeah, okay. If, I don't know how to do this. If you've never been in a movie theater before, that line is what movie theater people laugh at. Like, oh, yeah. I bet that movie theater was uproarious Dude, at that line. yeah, rolling on that one. As they should be. No, yeah, you do it. Uh, and one more. Did it seem like they bailed on the sexually active daughter there for a second? I swear to God, they all got the car. Dude. And when she was standing like 10 feet away and they were like, you know what? She has had sex before. Let's get yeah. the hell out of here. They're like, get in the car. And she's like, what's going on? And they're like, get in the car. And I swear, coach just puts the hammer down, dude. And they drive away. And in the next scene, she's clearly in the car. But they mm-hmm. left her, dude. They left her. Craig T. Nelson the takes, takes a cassette out that is wrapped in cellophane. It's called the Coach Soundtrack. Unwraps <laughs> all the cellophane. And you guys remember how hard it is to get those cassette tapes out oh, of the cellophane. Yeah. Uh, Unwraps it and puts that tape in. And then gets the hell out of there without his daughter. And yeah. we don't know if it's her daughter. But we know for sure it's his. And he uh, fails. Well, Not it's without also... abandoning my daughter. <laughs> That's Robbie gets a send away. And she does not. She does. This is the second time the family just lets her disappear from their lives for big chunks of this movie. She's had sex, dude. She's having sex, dude. Do we know that? that? Do they talk about that? Yes. She's always making out with boys. Like when she comes back right before they abandon her, although the movie loses the courage to stick to that. Right before they abandon her, you can see she's got like hickeys on both neck. Mm. It's classic. Like she's getting (laughs) punished for... And then there's and the down. line where uh, the mom is like, oh, we got to get out of here. We'll go to the Holiday Inn That's, on Route yep. 55. Yeah, That's exactly and, what I was going to say. And she's like, oh, I remember that one. And yeah. then smokes a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have seen things, honey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the end of the speed round. D- who got a point there, Greg? Ryan, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. dude. You're cleaning up today, I, Ryan. I did. Yeah, you guys should have your nephews on the show more Seriously? often, by the way. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, fucking nephew. We're, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, the awards. All right, gentlemen, it's awards time. This movie was nominated for three Academy Awards. 
one zero. What? But that's okay. Well, we're gonna go with uh, our favorite Oscar, which is, "Hey, did you watch this movie or not?" <laughs> Either way, here's what we think that you should watch. Greg, what's your recommendation? My recommendation just flew out of my head as soon as you asked me what it was. Oh, now I remember. If, if, you like if, ghosts, if that ever happens to you, Greg, say movie of the year of the podcast. That's going to get you so points. See the it's Monster actually, Squad. I'm going, to actually rep- uh, I'm going to actually say a completely different podcast than movie of the year. If you love ghosts, things that go bump in the night, and everything about the realm of spirituality, listen to Ghost Church by Jamie Loftus. Greg Heads no. I love Jamie Loftus, and I love everything she does. If you love the Lolita podcast, the My Year in Mensa podcast, um, the Kathy, the Ack cast, well, then I think you should definitely check out <laughs> this podcast. Holy shit. Uh, Jamie Loftus is your girl. Like These are all things that you are into. Yes, definitely. Uh, and um, and she's so good at podcasting. Um, I'm like, should, I listen to her podcast. I'm like, should I be better at podcasting? And I'm like, yeah, never mind. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're fine. Um, but uh, it's all about uh, American spirituality, which was uh, a girls maybe pretending to commune with spirits. And it kind of launched a whole religion. And it was like such a big event in America. Um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle got involved in it. Harry Houdini got wrapped up in it. And uh, Jamie Loftus does a really good job of talking about the history of spiritualism, the modern spiritualist church, and just the nature of, you know, what do we believe and and, um, why do some belief systems seem normal and other belief systems seem silly when kind of everything is silly. (laughs) That sounds awesome. I'm going to go with uh, a movie called The Haunting, which is based on uh, the haunting on Hill House. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah, right. 1950s movie where a bunch of people are in a haunted house. And I like this movie because the house is going crazy, but the house is not the main character. And I think that's what Poltergeist gives us. And I think the haunting sort of gave that to Poltergeist of uh, let's get into the complexities and perplexities of all these characters that are in this house. And yeah. that's sort of what makes it haunted. You know, like if you weren't the family you were, then these ghosts would have picked something else to do. But they know what messes you up. They know what gets you off, and they know what messes you up. And I sort of like that the house plays that. It's also classy. I think that the one thing that came from the Hooper... I don't think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a classy movie. I think that the <laughs> the one thing that came from the Hooper-Spielberg, uh, I don't know, partnership, is that this is a classy movie. And uh, I think the Pinky's haunting is up in too. the air the entire time. It's just... It, Fancy-ass ghosts. I mean, like, you can't... Tea is served in this movie. It's almost... I think Poltergeist is almost the princess bride of horror movies. In that you can't... Oh, dude. You can put this on right. with every generation of your family and enjoy it. Because it's not gross-out for gross-out sake. It's like... It, I think it's smart, but not overly smart. Uh, and I think the haunting is, like, that that version of old Hollywood. Mike, what was a got? great great answer, Ryan. Thanks, Greg. You can give Greg a point anytime he says great answer, Ryan. Ryan. Greg. <laughs> I I'd got like one a point too. If you want to just give me one. Don't. Yes. No, that's two points, Aiden. Oh, very <laughs> impressionable. Even it out. Yeah. <laughs> In a very similar vein, uh, Mike Flanagan's Haunting of Hill House, which oh, is the first series for the other Netflix. Uh and yeah, it just it's about this family and they're ruined. It goes back and forth between when the kids were kids and now the kids are adults and just how they deal with grief. And it's so clearly grief is a metaphor of them losing their mom. Uh, and you don't really know why they lost her for a while and was the house haunted or is the mom a looney tune? Mike. 
Uh, Somewhere in the supermarket, probably, right? That's where I would always get separated I, from uh, mine. Just screaming, looking for her. For me, it <laughs> was a swap meet. <laughs> but just a killer cast in general. And yeah, I like it's definitely my favorite of Flanagan's Netflix series. Is check it out. Yeah. And like uh, the whole, you think you're, the house is haunted because it goes, sure. But like it really is the disgusting thing you do behind closed doors of your perfect suburban home. That, mm. like, that, you know, like it's sort of the American beauty of horror of like. The whole Any th- horror movie, you're like, okay, what's the real world yeah. thing that this is talking <laughs> the about? The whole thing you wanted to do was like close yourself off and be like every other family, but you're not. Or you are in that you're terrible. <laughs> Good Rex, guys. We're going to go to Biggest Scare, and we're going to start with, of course, Greg. When yep. did your fingers wrap themselves around your eyes the most? Well, uh, I've talked about it a lot, but this movie has a false ending, which I fell for about as hard as you possibly could. (laughs) And everything really bad is on the other side of the false ending, including the mom is running so recklessly right by the pool. And I can't tell you how much I was like, Joe Beth Williams, if you fall into this pool, I am going to turn this car right around and stop watching this movie. And man, she comes so close to not falling in the pool. But the the like the ledge gives and she falls in and she is just absolutely surrounded by skeletons. Just drowning just, in skeletons. And they are all over her. And I realized as it happened that I remembered this part of the movie because I had read that they were real skeletons. Yeah. And at the moment that she is covered in them, I'm like, wait, those are real fucking skeletons. And I was like, okay, I'm fucking scared. This scares me. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> and she does that thing like, uh, you know how movies if uh, – your main character is driving, and then somebody puts their hands over that driver's eyes. He just does yeah. whatever he can yeah. to the wheel. She, that's what she does when she gets to the pool. Like she has a meltdown and loses control of all limbs. She forgets how to pool pretty hard. <laughs> all right, so we have Joe Beth in the pool. Mike, what do you got? Uh, I'm gonna go back to the one that, as a kid, the the thing that haunted me forever to the point when I saw it. Now I was like, did that's what it looked like the whole time? Even that's what's been scaring me. But it did. It was burned into my brain. Uh, for 30 whatever years and it is the dude ripping his own face off that oh, freaked me out so like if, if we're looking at this as baby's first horror movie i think that is terrifying because you're like that's my face i, w- I don't want to <laughs> do that to my face i'm just trying to look in a mirror uh, i just kept being like this looks like shit this looks like shit this looks like shit so that it couldn't hurt me <laughs> when it cuts to a, uh, a human being's face and then it cuts back and it is just a pile of play-doh with dude it looks like something at a knott's berry farm <laughs> it seriously looks like one of the dummies at knott's berry farm this is like a barely even like human formed face uh and, and you decide what is the biggest scare to you is it uh the mom falling into the pool full of skeletons or a guy with a pudding head running his fingers <laughs> gently through his pudding head pudding head wilson mm, i gotta give it to the pool yeah uh, it's, yeah yeah I'll that, greg on that one yeah uh, all right, pool the, party. the next award is the opposite. It's coolest ghost trick. What if you were in this house and you were like, you know what? I don't mind that. Mike, what do you got? Do you know what's dope as hell is like, oh, your your kid's upstairs and you're like, hey, I need that book because I'm going to the library. Give me the book. They don't need to run down. They throw that thing right into the, the closet and you catch it because you're in the living room. Oh, and you know, every time Mike caught it, it would just be so triumphant. Just be like, uh, that's a cool trick. Greg, what do you got? This part gets a lot of crap because I think it grosses people out. But one of the one of the Maggot toughest steaks. things one of the toughest things about a steak <laughs> is that to get a nice one, 
you have to really tenderize it yourself. And that can be a big process, right? This house, it tenderizes steak all on its own. Does it go too far sometimes? Obviously, yes. Like, there's going to be a balancing act here. But I imagine you could take, like, rump roast and turn it into, like, strip steak or something delicious just by getting that nice tenderizing action. I swear to God, if you put a rump roast on that counter and that counter knows it's a rump, the the things Uh that are going to come out of that meat... No, dude, don't do that. Maggots, it's it's really the one go-to. Sorry, Greg, I wouldn't have said maggot steak if I actually thought you were going to say maggot steak. Well, I'm you certain you'd do anything else. And I, I, I kind of felt like I had the floor, but you jumped on in there. I'm so sorry. I think I see where he's going, everybody. But I didn't. I thought I, was, I, thought I was zigging while you were zagging. Yeah. Well. We zigged together. Well, you guys are both acting like ziggy, so that's fine. Aiden, it's up to you. We have maggot steak. Or- that I wouldn't. Mm. <laughs> Okay. Self-tenderizing so it, steak. Yeah. Self-tenderizing steak. There you a, go. As a thing that you want. Or a little t- teleportation hole where you can grab a book like a champion. I feel like I'm leading the witness a lot here. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest. Objection. The steak. Yeah. yeah the steak. Dude. It just, I, yeah, that one surprised me big time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you want in a house. Greg, it's the yeah, point. Right? I, Slithered. Greg, it's up to you. <laughs> for cringiest moment of 1982's Poltergeist. Okay. Um, I don't get this part, but I had I had misunderstood and I had misremembered that this movie was, the whole thing was that it was a, on, a, on a Native American burial ground. Um, but there's actually a character that literally says that's not what, what's going on, but it's the boss and he kind of puts a little stank on it. And I was just like, what's his point? Like, are they saying that, like, we care more about sites of Native American burial than we do of white people, where white people are buried? And if so, like, what kind of weird comment is he making? It feels like a proto or like a very early version of like, you know, who's really got it rough is the is white men. Um, and so I don't know. There was just something so weird about the way he's like, don't worry. So wait, he invented not- the Internet. <laughs> he invented it- comment threads. Uh, yeah, I'm not. It's 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 not a t- it's not the worst cringe I've ever had. But I I was like, what's he saying here? I don't quite get it. I don't know what it adds up to. And like, I I feel like the whole movie you can feel his fear, and that like even when Craig T. Nelson comes out and his family has the bug, he's like, oh god, this is because of me. This is because of all of my mm-hmm. awful decisions. Yeah. my entire life. Mike, what's your cringiest moment? Uh, early on. The daughter, the eldest daughter is leaving for Dana. school and the full-on adult oh, construction yeah. workers catcall her and the mom sees it and the mom just laughs and laughs and what? laughs. It's like, beca- please, it becomes like a Mentos commercial. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everybody gives each other a big thumbs up and then it's just like, ah, sexual harassment. It's crazy. It's a living. The mom just like drinks coffee and she's like, oh, mm. man. When Those are they going to stop days. You, man? Uh, all right, Aiden. So, what is the cringiest moment of the movie? The uh, fact that it's definitely not an Indian burial ground, or these construction workers making like weird comments to the sixteen-year-old. I'm gonna just say it's construction workers. Okay. <laughs> it's construction workers. Yeah. She was proud of her. She was proud of her daughter yeah. at that point. Oh man, that was weird. <laughs> weird messages, movie. What the hell? <laughs> uh, this is gonna be a weird one, Mike. Director's signature. We're going with to- to- uh, Toby Hooper. Okay, I'm going to do the one where if you're not super familiar, it's what moment stood out, right? Uh-huh. And the moment that stood out to me is uh, 
When the big toy in the in the real ending, the giant head comes out, yes. and Coach just starts <laughs> screaming, and the camera <laughs> zooms in on his mouth, and then zooms in on his eyes, and then just cuts to his full face screaming again. <laughs> it's just this weird triple quick cut that made me laugh so hard. But it's the the first time I was like, oh, somebody's directing this. If, like, <laughs> would it been better if in uh, the middle of that shot, it just like there was a Chiron that said 1982, and it did that thing where like 1982 appeared all around the screen? Yes, yeah, it just floating. It reminded me of fucking. In Wayne's World, when they're like, "Whoa!" <laughs> when the camera's going in. <laughs> Greg, what is your Toby Hooper signature moment? For me, it was the shot of the family like walking to the the um, Holiday Inn room, and they all look like they've just been through the wars, and they all look so worn out. And in a movie where you're trying to figure out sometimes what the stakes were, what the point was, exactly what was going on. This shot, it's like so clear. This family went through hell, but here they are together and they finally have learned the lesson and learned not to reject it. And this is like, this is them through all of that. And I just thought that was the most like clear the movie was in terms of like, this is what we were talking about. Right. And so the director's signature moment, the moment where like he was like, I'm going to put my stamp my thumbprint on this movie. We have two options. One is what Greg said. Uh, the family's walking through the hallway and like they have made it. This is the point. Or what Mike said, which is constant zoom ins on body parts. I got to give this one to Mike. Mike. Yes. That was too good. The zoom ins. There zoom-ins. were zoom ins. <laughs> All right. And uh, we're going to throw in a uh, monkey wrench here. Greg. <laughs> Spielberg director's moment. Okay, well then, if it's Spielberg, uh, we love to talk about Spielberg and light. Like his love of film comes down to, I think, primarily a love of light. He thinks it's great. Um, this movie has the most over-the-top strobe effects. Lately, oh. it's, it's become common to be like, watch out if you have epilepsy. Even if you don't have epilepsy, you will get be epilepsy. careful watching this fucking movie because it will just flash bright lights in your eyes nonstop. And I yeah. swear, I was like, I'm starting to feel ill. I, um, there's this thing I that we the, always talk about where, like, I, especially with a baby asleep upstairs, I have to have my finger on the volume button. Oh, yeah. For I sure. watched some of this on my iPad, and I had to have my finger on the light button. Like, I couldn't yeah. take it, dude. Like, I was going through migraines. And I just felt like that was like Spielberg trying something while somebody else technically had his hand on the on the on yeah. the wheel. Um, he wanted to see how over the top he could go with light, and you did it, bud. You went there, <laughs> Mikey. What do you got? I felt like the the he, the suburban setup that he often does, and his let's follow this like slice of life dude with a palado beer. And then these kids are going to have RC cards yes. trying to chase him and trip him. Like, all of that felt like that could go in any one of his movies. And uh-huh. he'd be like, yeah, this tracks. And, like, that was allegedly the only scene that he directed. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? Wow, shit. And that's a perfect answer. Damn, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty that, good answer. <laughs> uh, Toby Hooper said that the only scene that he directed was some bullshit outside with kids and race cars. Like, he didn't even know it was his, in his own movie. Um, but, yeah, like, that's classic suburban life. So... Aiden, who wins? The perfect answer or uh, Greg Strobe Lights? Greg. Yeah, strobe Lights. Go. I'm sorry. That's why you have a 16-year-old. I, I love it. I, I almost passed out during those scenes. Dude, seriously, it gets pretty intense. 
I would close one eye and I was like, that doesn't work. I closed two <laughs> eyes. Now I'm not watching the movie. Like it was hard. I literally, but I could away. still see the like, strobe. Well, I'm gonna check in in a in a like 30 seconds here. <laughs> you know what you do is you face your iPad towards the wall and just dance. Do a dance party. <laughs> I think find the rhythm of the strobe and just blink with it. <laughs> so you're always just singing on light. <laughs> All right, Mike, you are up. This is our final award of the night. Pound for pound performance. Who did the best acting scene by scene? I'm glad to finally not just say, here's the star. Uh, Coach? You know who I was blown away? I would argue, one, that Coach is not the star of this movie. Joe Beth is. But I think Zelda Rubenstein, she had gravitas when she needed gravitas. And she let down some fucking laugh lines. The, the one I mentioned earlier, and then at the end when they're like, we have to film a thing. And she like primped before they turned it on. Yeah. And she's like, even though we all went through something horrifying... I get what my job is here now. And I think Zelda Rubenstein got her job. She got the tone of the movie and she crushed it. I'm not talking shit on her. I'm talking shit on the film. But there's one part where they stumble so hard. Uh, and it's like clearly for a trailer or something. Like somebody's like, hey, so what should we do? And then she just stands there yes. for like 30 seconds. And then finally the camera moves in. So she stands there for another 30 seconds. And she's like, <laughs> well, I guess we'll get these ghosts. Like, <laughs> yeah, dude, this movie is sloppy at points. It's sloppy toppy. Uh, Zelda and like I think that th- she's an important person in this world uh, in this movie because she does this thing and th- I, I think this is intentional by the directors of uh, we're so obsessed we're, we're so hatred we have so much hatred for parents but we're so obsessed with children and grandparents what if we combine them mm. I think that's what the, with the voice and the the stature I think that's what they're doing with this casting. And is she the most iconic person from this movie, even more than yeah. the, the skinny guy from Poltergeist 2? Yeah. Oh, yeah. His house is clean. It's so iconic, Ace Ventura would Ace say. Ace Ventura but. did it. Greg, pound for pound performance. I guess for me, and I, Mike sort of like took a swipe at this, but I I, I think it is Joe Beth Williams. Um, we like if Who is the movie about? Who grows? Who changes the most? And we really see this woman go from someone who is sort of checked out as a parent to someone who is deeply invested. And we really see, like, she goes through this second birth experience and it really, like, until she gets the stripes of fighting for her children, yeah. it doesn't seem like, like, the this rejects the image of mother as just, like, the figure at home who smiles and makes a sandwich. And this says, no, mother is the figure who is, like, a fierce fighter. And Jobeth And Williams, a sacrificer. Yeah. And Jobeth Williams captures all of these different facets of that. And you see her scene by scene, like, get a little bit, go from one to the other. And... I, all in all, I thought it was actually a really subtle performance, in, like considering all the just absolute zaniness and over the topness of this movie. All right, Aiden, best performance of the movie, pound for pound, scene by scene. Was it the mom or was it the uh, medium? Medium. I got to give it to the mom. The mom. That's Greg. Greg. Greg takes that down. We're going to take a break and we're going to figure out who Aiden thinks won the Poultry Guys show and how well. Poltergeist will do in the future. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for ryan to draw you a picture Uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over 
and patreon.com slash your pop filter. While you're on the internet, you should check out Shady Monk. He does all the tunes you've been listening to. He's on Bandcamp, he's on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, wherever kids get their music these days that I'm too old to know. Shady Monk lives there. Uh, you can probably follow him on Twitter and Instagram as well. That's Shady Monk. Wherever you get music, check him out. Well, we talked a lot of shit tonight on the Movie Poltergeist, but I, for one, think that it is still a classic 1982 movie. I think that I. The 80s, basically after this point, are only just um, Spielberg movies and horror movies. Like, And it sort of splits from here. I think that's like sort of the uh, importance of this movie is like whatever Poltergeist had, we want. Um, I think that it is sloppy, but I think that it is so, so, so much more than the sum of its parts. Uh, Mike, where are you at with the movie right now? Endlessly entertaining. Uh, it's how much I loved it as a kid. I was like, I don't know how I'll feel about it now. And just every time it's goofy and sloppy, it makes me interested in it. Uh, the performance are far better than I thought they were going to be. Uh, it was deeper than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I, I dug the shit out of it. Aiden, we'll go to you after listening to this entire conversation by people who are basically like teacher age for you. Um, <laughs> do you yeah. like the movie more or less? I liked it more. It gave me uh it gave me the good parts of Ghostbusters like type of vibe. You know what I mean? Like I I liked the movie a lot. And Greg, what do you think? I think it's a yeah, a deserved classic. Uh I think that it's so charming that in a way its weaknesses could be read as strengths. Like I think that there's a lot of sort of like looseness and potential sloppiness that actually ha- helps the movie to like sort of I don't know, get its hooks in you because it doesn't explain itself. It's not clear what's going on. So there's room for you to kind of like have your own theory. And in that way, you become attached to it. Um, I was at first thinking it was not very scary. Ultimately, it, it by the Greg, by Greg Sanders, it's pretty scary. Um, <laughs> but it like it never lost sight of its first job, which was to be entertaining. Like and it seemed to take that very seriously. And I just felt like my time was very much cared for in this movie. Like they always wanted to show me something cool. They wanted to show me something big. They wanted there to be a joke. Like very little is wasted in this. And I appreciate that because some movies just will bore your freaking pants off. And the cool thing about being forty years out and not having to worry about the whole Hooper versus Spielberg thing is that we don't have to worry about the Hooper versus Spielberg thing. We could just look at it and say like does this gel as a movie and i think that in in a lot of ways it's like ai where like what if kubrick alone did it or what if spielberg alone did it but Mm -hmm. i think that it's kind of perfect the way that it is and i do think that poltergeist is they both sort of needed each other to give us this classic yeah if it was one or the other it probably would not be remembered as fondly it would just be more flat and boring and i can't think of anything more boring than arguing who directed it right all right, let's get to the point. Um, Aiden just gave Greg an extra point, so that didn't declare anything. Uh, Mike, <laughs> you have 31 points. Woo! Okay. Spicy, okay. dude. That's nice. And we should say that I have 46 points, but I am going to uh, recuse myself from all of this. Uh, Mike, you have 31 points. Greg, you have 36 points. Dang. Aiden Hell is yeah. a Greg head. Boom. Boom. Aiden and a Betton. Boom. <laughs> Boom. All I heard Boom. were good points. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, thank you. Ouch. <laughs> well, but, you know, like. Mike had good points, just five less than Greg. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, man, for, there's nothing wrong with more. losing to Greg. 
A lot of a lot of a lot of the fans of the show have been clamoring for it. Yeah, I'm Losing sure they'll still figure out a way eyes. to be mad at me about this. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't Mike have those 31? Those should have all gone to Greg. Uh, first of all, Aiden, thank you so much for being on here tonight. Yeah, of course, thanks, thank, you. thank you. Is this you your first me. podcast? It is actually. What do you think? Is it fun? Uh. No. <laughs> a lot of old people, but you know. A lot of old people. <laughs> That's going to be the case for every podcast you listen to. Um, and then, of course, thank you to you guys. Guys, we have so many incredible shows ahead of us. Um, yes. Movies that may be better than Poltergeist. Do you guys, are we feeling Poltergeist is. Oh, I don't think it's got. Any, I don't think it's got any chance. We 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 had we had our fun with it, but I don't think it's got much of a chance. It's Mike, very what do you 82. think? It's very eighty-two. I could see time t- and alcohol changing ideas, and I sort of think that too. I think that I I'm uh, stronger than Greg, let's say, on its chances. But we've got uh, a Star Trek movie coming up, a John Carpenter yeah. movie coming up, a uh, Tootsie movie coming up, uh, directed by Tootsie, starring Tootsie. So we have a lot of things to go. But until then, for Greg, for Mike, for Aiden, keep watching those movies. Boo yeah. So, while Americans overwhelmingly support the right of an individual to make their own decisions about abortion, unfortunately, that right is no longer protected anywhere in the U.S. The Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade on June 24th. Abortion is a basic health care need for millions of people who can become pregnant. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Even if you live in a state where abortion rights are upheld, access to safe medical procedures shouldn't be determined by location, and it shouldn't be the privilege of a small few. And we're already seeing certain medical practices be restricted even in those states. You can help by donating to local abortion funds. To find out where to donate for each state, visit donationsforabortion.com. That's the number four, donationsforabortion.com. If you or someone you know needs help or if you want to get more involved, here are five resources. One, Shout Your Abortion is a campaign to normalize abortion. Two, Don't Ban Equality is a campaign for companies to take a stand against abortion restrictions. 3. Abortion.cafe has information about where to find clinics. 4. PlantCPills.org provides early at-home abortion pills that you can keep in your medicine cabinet. And 5. Choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. Has a collection of these resources and more. You can also find all the links to these resources at podvoices.help and in the show notes. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word.